You're listening to the Hire Through Retire podcast, brought to you by Voya Financial. We're talking to the best and brightest in the industry to bring you the latest in benefits, savings, and investment trends in the workplace, tackling all things from 401ks to HSAs and everything in between. Come along with us on our journey to help all individuals become well-planned, well-invested, and well-protected. Welcome back to the Hire Through Retire podcast. My name is Allison Dirksen, and I have the pleasure of leading our wealth sales organization here at Boya Financial. And I am very excited to be joining as your guest host for today's episode. We're here today to talk about a topic that is not only new to our podcast listeners, but for many of you that are reading the headlines today, this is a, it's a hot topic. It's emergency savings and specifically in the workplace. And while this is something that we've been really passionate about here at Voya as it pertains to helping individuals prepare for their financial future, it's also a topic that's come to light uh, more given recently the passing of Secure 2.0 retirement legislation. So joining me to talk about how the role of workplace emergency saving plans have evolved are not one, but two special repeat guests. Mr. Tom Armstrong, a fellow colleague and good friend of mine, leads our customer insight and analytics team at Voya, and also as head of our Behavioral Finance Institute, is here with us today. Tom, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Hi, Allison. And uh, thanks to our entire audience for tuning in. Looking forward to a good discussion today. You always leave them with something to ponder as part of the podcast. So I'm sure they're excited to have you back. And also uh, joining Tom and I today is Nick Maynard, Senior Vice President at Commonwealth, which is a national nonprofit focused on building financial security and opportunity for financially vulnerable people really through innovation and partnerships. So at Commonwealth, Nick is what I would consider probably the workplace emergency savings guru, uh, working to kind of operationalize Emergency Savings Act as part of Secure 2.0 with both employers, record keepers, and I would also add payroll firms. Nick, thank you so much for joining us and being here with us today. Allison, it's great to be back, and thanks so much for that um, high praise. It's uh, it's uh, great to see the evolution of all this emergency savings work since I last visited the podcast. So excited for the discussion ahead with you and Tom. Wonderful. I cannot think of two more well-suited individuals for the discussion today. So why don't we get started, Tom? I'm going to start with you, and I think you can help our audience set the stage here by talking a little bit more about what you and your teams have seen in terms of why is emergency savings so important and really the implications that have to an individual's retirement and what you are finding from data to support participants in this conversation around emergency savings. Sure, yeah, no, thanks. So we have done um, actually quite a bit of research on this topic here at Voya uh, over the past couple of years now. And I think the pandemic has further heightens everybody's interest in the topic, although we've, we've been working on it, Nick and I and others uh, together for, for actually a number of years now. But what we found is really, um, and, and have been able to demonstrate through that research, that a lack of adequate emergency savings puts retirement at risk. And we've actually seen in that data set, in the data sets that we've been studying, that those with inadequate emergency savings are actually 13 times more likely to take a hardship withdrawal from their plan 
versus those that have adequate emergency savings. And, and ultimately, those hardship withdrawals, those are irreversible decisions that impact an employee's financial future. We take this, this data, this research, this insight really seriously. On the good news front, in working with our partner, Nick, and, and the Commonwealth team, along with one of our large clients, we, we do see that when employees do set up adequate emergency savings, or at least start to save for emergency savings, in one case with one of our large customers, um, they're actually twice as likely to then have increased their pre-tax or their sa- retirement savings rates as well. So we, we know on one hand, lack of adequate emergency savings puts retirement at risk. But then we know from this newer research that having adequate emergency savings seems to actually sort of give people confidence and let them feel like they can now save for things for the future, like like retirement. Yeah, Tom, it's interesting when we think and have conversations with participants that really trying to identify where those dollars can come and allocate towards retirement versus emergency savings. But just even a little bit, as you just alluded to, into emergency savings probably has the higher impact on retirement long-term. So it doesn't have to be big amounts. Absolutely. And I know Nick will talk about it in a minute, but start start somewhere, start small is, is definitely a thing. The other piece that we see to build off of what Tom was speaking about is across a number of plan sponsors is also loans. And so instead of tapping your own emergency savings and building that up, using the retirement plan uh, as a place to seek loan assistance is suboptimal for the goal of saving for retirement. We want to make sure for all facets that that 401k financial benefit is protected and used for its key purpose. And that's you know why emergency savings has really risen over the last few years because of this common uh, challenge that's been seen throughout the system of tapping into that retirement plan to get through short-term needs. I want to stick with you if we could here on the conversation of, you know, Secure 2.0. We alluded to some of the work that you and Commonwealth have done around the Emergency Savings Act, and we're having a lot of conversations with our employers and clients around the impact and really trying to make sense of all the Secure 2.0 provisions. With that related to emergency savings, how is Commonwealth really working to help employers and benefit providers determine how it will impact their work? And can you talk a little bit more about what these emergency savings provisions specifically mean for employers? Sure. It's an exciting time for emergency savings, given the uh, inclusion of options in Secure 2.0 that uh, record keepers can build and plan sponsors can potentially deploy. And so that signaling power of the government, including it in large-scale legislation that has so many provisions in it and so many other important financial wellness provisions as well, I'm thinking about student debt, is just a a, a marker of how much the need is uh, seen out in the marketplace. So there are two unmandated provisions in Secure 2.0 related to emergency savings. That means that no record keeper has to uh, force them upon a plan sponsor. It's for plan sponsors to decide whether it works for them and it works with their plan. One is the option to build uh, an additional, what we would call money out option. So you can take 1,000 out of the plan. It does not require that you disclose why you're taking the 1,000 out, like you might have to disclose for a hardship. It follows along what was done during the COVID pandemic a little bit to allow folks to to access some liquidity. 
And you can only do that once a year and you can't do it again until you pay it back, but you have three years um, to pay back the 1,000 if you need that. Uh, and those can work alongside of uh, loans and hardships that already exist. If there is a significant one-time shock in a year, then that potentially might work for participants and protect some of those core um, assets. The other uh, unmandated option is really on the bleeding edge of a lot of the work in the ecosystem and research going on uh, around what used to be called sidecars. But in this case, it's pension-linked emergency savings accounts or PLESAs that were written into the Secure 2.0 legislation. And what these do is they ride alongside the 401k plan. They have two fascinating and important components. One is auto-enrollment. It allows the plan sponsor to do opt-out auto-enroll into emergency savings. And then it's targeted, interestingly enough, at not highly compensated employees. So it allows for a focus on those employees who may have more short-term savings horizons and liquidity needs and has the potential that research will will help us uncover the true potential of uh, to potentially bring people into the plan that aren't participating today, potentially show that it can protect those core assets from hardships and loans because there is an ability to access, uh, in the case of the legislation, it can be up to $2,500 in liquidity and the ability to um, build it, use it, and rebuild it without necessarily touching the core assets. So it's an exciting time. It's an interesting mechanism. And there's a lot of opportunity to build it and research it and see what happens uh, with this type of sidecar. You know, it's it's an interesting time, Nick, but it's also a complex one. You know, you, you've outlined a lot of different avenues that employers can find their way down from unmandated to mandated. And so, Tom, I think it'd be really interested to hear your point of view on how employers are trying to make those key decisions as it relates to these new emergency savings options. And what do the role of do record keepers like Voya play in helping employers navigate those decisions? Yeah. So um, first, Nick, thanks for summarizing without using tax code jargon. So I appreciate that. <laughs> that was actually one of the best distillations of uh, section 115 and 127 for those of you keeping track at home. I would just actually, before I answer your question, I just wanted to start out listening to all of this, right? I think many of our listeners are, are employers, advisors, TPAs, um, and, and I think that we are all weeding through the countless, it feels like, mandatory and optional provisions. Um, we're evaluating um, everything that came out of Secure 2.0 together. There are a lot of resources in many different places, but I do want to just point out we have a lot of resources right on voya.com on our own website related to Secure 2.0 for use by sponsors, advisors, and intermediaries. So go check those out if you do want to nerd out with Nick and I and go a little bit deeper. Just coming back to your question, I, I think the employers and consultants and advisors that we're working with are really focused right this second on mandatory provisions that they need to implement this year or next year. We are, though, having some great dialogue with clients and employers and advisors and intermediaries about some of these opt optional provisions. And I would say that uh, the two that are rising to the top in all of those discussions are student loan, student loan matching kind of discussions, as well as this emergency savings topic. And so I think this is timely because uh, many are, are contemplating uh, these different flavors right now. And while we're on track to deliver what I'll call all the mandatory provisions this year, we are working with our clients. And I would encourage everybody out there to continue to work with us and your consultants and advisors 
on the sequencing of the, some of these optional provisions and when to when and where do you want to tackle those. You know, I think that what we're hearing from sponsors is that they're interested in learning about both of those provisions that Nick just outlined. Some of the considerations that I'm hearing from sponsors that we're talking to them about are that, hey, the $1,000 emergency withdrawal is, is quite a bit easier to implement. It's probably a little bit easier maybe to ex even explain to some of the employees and consumers how that would work. But there are some, some concerns that are being raised along, uh, along the way as well, including is this just going to encourage additional people to take money out of the plan that, um, you know, in some cases may not be paid back? I think the good news here is it can be paid back, unlike prior hardship withdrawals, but, but may not be paid back. And then I think on the, on the $2,500 plan length emergency savings account, you know, uh, account, that's the other optional provision that we're seeing interest in. And I would say the interest is high, but it's being tempered by, uh, well, wait a second, you have to monitor compensation for my non-highly compensated employees. There's some switchover provisions. Once you hit this $2,500 cap, how is that going to work? So lots of different considerations, I think, on both sides of these two different options. But the client interest is high. And um, this discussion that we're having, both here and then with our employers and our consultants and advisors, is going to help us build and shape these out to, to what I'm excited about is, is hopefully really meaningful help for employees. Well, it's a, it's a good segue, Tom, because we focus this kind of first part of our conversation really on dissecting what this means to employers as they navigate this decision. But really, this has a very a potentially big impact on employees and the decisions that they make. So, Nick, you know, when bringing you in, I, I think about just diverse populations that a variety of employers have and specifically those employers that might have employees that fall into more of that low to moderate income bracket, how much of those employers in partnership with their record keepers and advisors and TPAs, as Tom mentioned, approach the available options to them when it comes to emergency savings? Yeah, it's a complicated world when you sort of dig deeper and, and peel back the onion on emergency savings. I think there's sort of a sense that the, the key you know, dynamic of financial education and financial wellness communication is there's there's always been maybe just a single way to define it. And it turns out through research, ours and others, uh, VOYAs, et cetera, that there are two types of emergency savings. So that's a very important place for employers and plan sponsors to start. One is what you hear most about the, sometimes it's three, six, three months, six months, nine months, but that's a large pool of money for an income shock is the best way to define it. And it's built for accumulation and it's built to help someone through covering their baseline expenses for when income is not going to come for a period of time. But then there's another emergency savings, which is much closer into the day-to-day -day and shorter savings horizons. And that's really build, use, rebuild emergency savings or that tied to expense shocks that can range anywhere from you know $25 extra at the gas pump to $1,000 for a car repair or $2,500 for something in the house that had to be fixed unexpectedly. So you start to see in the dynamics of the pension-linked emergency savings, as employers look into that, why it was built with that sort of plumbing to address, hopefully, some of that short-term expense volatility that many, many uh, workers face. Um, but it's important to note the two types. So as employers think about assessing emergency savings options, one important starting point is getting to understand their employees' needs what they're uh, looking for in terms of employer-sponsored 
emergency savings benefits, what are they faced with? Are they in this in the situation where they need that fund? Or are they in the situation where they're facing more of the ongoing short-term shocks? And is it potentially different for different employee groups? In addition, I think it's important to be in dialogue with your uh, record keeper partners and ask how the builds are coming, how they're thinking about it, what data they're seeing in uh, the options uh, that might become available through Secure 2.0. I think that's always important for plan sponsors to talk through. And that includes dialogues about loan and hardship data and how that looks for the plan. That includes looking at financial wellness data together with record keepers and figuring out you know, where the pain points lie around things like emergency savings. And then in addition, I think it's really important to look at how much real plan participation there is. That will give an employer a sense of, wow, I've got a group of people that are really engaged with the retirement plan, and it's most likely that they're going to want emergency savings in the retirement plan or near it. But then I might have a segment of my employees that aren't engaged with the retirement plan. And so my emergency savings benefit might have to be inclusive of something that also serves them outside of the plan. And so that's the important piece is starting with employee needs and then working through the options to figure out what might make the most sense uh, to meet that need from a benefit standpoint. I just wanted to add on, I, I think there's a bunch of dimensions to this problem and opportunity, I guess, all one is, as Nick was mentioning, you know, one of the things that I know we've been talking about, Nick, is how do we help those that um, may not have available funds, low to moderate income workers, but also those that may be um, in racial or ethnic groups that um, have not historically had access to some of the, the solutions and opportunities that, that others might have. And we recently released um, a thought leadership paper on this topic. And actually, I spoke with Carol Mendoza uh, and I on this, on this same podcast this past spring about that research, where we studied 163,000 employees across six different um, sponsors. And what we found in that data set was that seven out of 10 Black African Americans and um, nearly seven out of 10 Hispanic and Latinos didn't have an adequate emergency fund in place. And you know, probably not surprisingly then, those folks actually then ended up having a significantly higher likelihood of taking out a hardship withdrawal uh, due to that lack of financial cushion that you just described. We did find a couple bright spots in the research that I wanted to share. I don't wanna be all doom and gloom on this podcast. Plans that deployed automatic enrollment and re-enrollment strategies had not only higher participation rates, but they actually had lower savings gaps between those ethnicities. And so I think with the presence of that auto feature in that $2,500 emergency savings solution you described, you know, taking advantage of some of those same learnings that we've seen and helping get participants into the plan, you know, I think some elements of that secure 2.0 emergency savings feature in conjunction with auto features could be really, really powerful. So um, there is a little bit of hope in the midst of, uh, I think, still a lot of opportunity to close some of these gaps. Very, very good. Thank you for sharing that additional piece about the research you've been doing, Tom. I will say as we kind of near our conversation here, we've both of you have talked about pros and cons of the emergency savings legislation and things that employers need to think about. But I think summarizing that here at the end for our listeners would be really good. Nick, could we start with you on what you kind of thematically lump into both pros and cons around emergency savings products? I think a great example is one of the BlackRock Emergency Savings Initiative partners, AutoNation, that has rolled out an emergency savings benefit to its employees. 
And it's looked at it not as a single solution. And that really gets to this question of pros and cons. If you look at only one option, then you kind of have to decide who am I going to hit and who am I going to miss? And it's unclear, given different employee needs, whether one would reach all of them. But AutoNation found through research with Commonwealth and the ESI that there were differing employee needs. There was a very strong group of employees that felt like I want it close to the retirement plan. That works for me. And another group of employees that felt like I want it not near the retirement plan because it's emergency savings and it serves a different purpose. So then they were able to you know, assess uh, a, their whole set of partners and figure out what would serve their workers uh, the best. So I think that's the way to approach it is really start with uh, employee needs, think about the, uh, assess the solutions, and then remember that for this short-term build, use, rebuild savings, things like immediate liquidity, things like no fees, things like no minimum balances are highly demanded throughout our research and others by workers, especially the workers from the DEI research that Tom was talking about, that's the type of features and tool set that they're going to want to use and will and will make sure to use when it's offered to them. So a lot to think through as one engages on this uh, emergency savings journey. Tom, anything additional you'd like to add there from a pros and cons perspective? Yeah, I mean, Nick did a great job of summarizing. I, I would say we've also had another joint client we've worked with, uh, UPS, on you know, emergency savings research in general with Commonwealth and exploring, you know, how to make it easy for people, meet them where they are. I know it's really cliche, but at the end of the day, if we can make this really easy for someone to just start saving and start saving small, even if it's just a few pennies per dollar, right? We did separate research that looked at those that are uh, uh, low to moderate income workers, maybe less financially numerate um, or savvy, if we just frame this decision as um, save a few pennies per dollar instead of a percent, we find they end up saving more. So I think that it's a matter of finding the right set of tools for each of you as employers, as consultants, as advisors. And it's not a one size fits all, just as, as Nick gave with the AutoNation example. It's probably going to be a little bit different and nuanced for every employer. But the good news is now we have an expanded set of tools in the toolkit. That, that we're going to learn from, right? So that research that Nick was talking about, we have other ongoing research that we're doing together with Commonwealth and at FOIA to help better meet these people. We meet all of the employees that we all serve and ultimately are trying to help achieve a, a more secure financial future, you know, be able to have that stability today so they can think about saving for tomorrow. You know, Tom, Nick, this has been such a, a fun and interesting conversation, but you just said two things that stuck with me, Tom. You, you talk about balance and you talked about the expansion of tools. So while it, let's wrap up with this topic around in-plan versus out-of-plan. And while it may seem like in-plan options are a great positive step forward, there's still a lot of employees that probably need a different solution to meet their own unique personal needs. So to wrap up our time together today, could you both share your perspective on having a diverse array of both in-plan and out-of-plan workplace emergency saving solutions? Nick, want to start with you? Yeah, I mean, you can probably tell from my comments throughout, I think that uh, it is important to learn about both uh, in plan and out of plan to line those up with employee needs and to really think about this as an emergency savings benefit. 
It's not a singular account. It's not a tool, but what's the benefit that's going to sit alongside retirement savings, health savings, and so forth, and allow someone to go on a financial security journey so that they can eventually build wealth um, and hold on to that wealth through the retirement plan. It's so crucial that that pillar of emergency savings is, is strong in the short term and then building up to the longer term income shocks. And so it's being you know into exploring these options, learning about them. And I think as we build out these benefits and see them at more companies, we'll learn a lot more um, about how they work for different types of employees. Yeah, I, I think we're just scratching the surface here, right? We're kind of in early innings of a baseball game trying to solve this mystery of how, you know, hopefully we never have another pandemic, but if and when another global crisis emerges, a recession hits, how do we really make sure that we have the right set of tools in the, in the toolkit and really allow employees to have that financial cushion so they don't have to raid their, their retirement, they don't have to maybe put other goals, college savings that they're saving for their kids at risk because they haven't been able to, to plan for the future. So, you know, I think start small, find a set of capabilities that allows your employees, um, you know, to, to be successful in, in starting small and building up that cushion. And think about, I would say, the broader array of tools that are um, brought to bear at the workplace, right? So I think we're very focused on emergency savings. It's absolutely a critical component but there are components uh, like HSAs, for example, that can supplement or complement, I should say, um, adequate uh, emergency savings for broader needs. If, if we look at our data, hardship withdrawals, um, unreimbursed medical expenses in many cases are the number one or the number two reason for those hardship withdrawals. And the presence of a, a, an HSA actually could, um, in some instances, represent you know, a quasi-emergency savings solution. So you know, as an employer, as a consultant, as an advisor, think about that broader suite of tools that you can bring to the discussion as well. Wow. This has been so good. That's what I just want to say. Wow. Thank you so much to both Tom and Nick uh, for your insights and for being here today. Thanks, Allison. It was great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners that uh, join us for each of our podcasts. This is certainly a topic that we are going to plan on revisiting and Hope to share more research with our listeners as well over time. So I encourage you to come back and gain further insight here to take back to uh, whether it's you as an employer, a TPA or an advisor um, to benefit your own workplace decisions or your own practice. So thank you again for joining us today and stay well. This information is provided by Voya for your education only. Neither Voya nor its representatives offer tax or legal advice. Any opinions expressed within do not necessarily reflect those of the Voya family of companies or its representatives and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult your tax or legal advisor before making a tax-related investment or insurance decision.